Hi, this is Nancy Arvizu, and you're listening to Write, Speak, Play. In this special episode, I talk with Susan Brerley, the founder of the Garden of Nero, and this is our first Mastermind Book Club meeting where we discuss A Promised Land by Barack Obama and Flying Lead Change by Kelly Wendorf. A lot of fun, two great books. So I hope you enjoy this discussion. And if you are part of the Mastermind Book Club, get your notebook out and see how our opinions and observations of each book compare and differ with yours. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. So, yay, it's our first it's our first book club meeting. Um, so this week and this month, we have um, the books that we'll be discussing are Flying Lead Change by Kelly Wendorf. That's in the women's track. That's for January. Atomic Habits by James Clear. That's in the challenging track. Easy uh, track is Who Moved My Cheese? That's January. And then in the 200 books track, we have four books this week. Um, All three of those that are in the other tracks, plus A Promised Land by Barack Obama. And I have already read all three of the others um, that I just mentioned. And so this morning I'm going to talk about um, my experience with A Promised Land by Barack Obama. But before we talk about books, I just wanted to mention that I spent some time earlier this week drafting my dear author letter email that I'm going to send to. So for every author that's in our book club tracks, every single one, including Barack Obama, for every single author, I'm going to send a an invitation to come and join us to talk about their books. And um, there's a book that I'm reading called um, Who Not How. And I had journaled, who are my who's? It, the idea of the who not how book is to get to where you want to get. It's not so important to figure out the how as much as the who. Like, who are you doing it with? Who's on the bus? That's like, he talks about that in Good to Great. Um, Who's on the bus is more important than where are you going? And in Who Not How, he talks, he, it's the same. It's like, who are your who's? And I had journaled, who are my who's? Who are my who's for 2021? And then it struck me that with the book club, the who's, are of course the people in the garden, first and foremost, but also all these authors. And with over 200 authors, you know, we're we're bound to get a few of those authors who are going to say yes. We may get a lot of no's. You know, Michelle and Barack Obama might be a little bit too busy for our Garden of Neuro book club, but it doesn't matter. I'm asking all of them. I'm asking every single author if they'd like to come join us. And when we get those yeses, that'll be those will be big moments because we'll be able to promote those and say, guess who's coming? So and so is coming. Who wrote this book? And come join our book club. Come join our garden. 
So it, I'm very excited about that, uh, that effort of writing to all the authors. It's like a big, that's my big thing, my big project for the year, writing to 200 plus authors. That's exciting because that book is on my list next too. You know, I started with the proximity principle and I've done some of these other ones that are about the people that you spend the most time with. It's the book we just discussed and now it's Who Not, Who Not How, yeah. Who okay. Not How is by Benjamin Hardy. Yeah. And um, I have that one on my Kindle. I have that one loaded on my Kindle right now. So this book, um, A Promised Land, you know, it wasn't really originally on my radar, but um, a medium writer had said, oh, you ought to add this to the list. So I did. And I, um, uh, Marla Bishop actually is the one who recommended the book. Uh, it's a huge book. It's, I have it on my uh, Audible and I'm not quite done with it yet. I still have a few hours left. It's something like 27 hours of listening time. So it's one of the larger um, books that I've read. I listen to it at, you know, 1.3, not, not quite one and a half speed time. Uh, 1.3, I think I put it at. So I speed it up a little bit so I can get through it a little faster, but I don't want it to go too fast. He is a slow speaker, so it was uh, helpful to speed up the, speed it up just a little bit. But it's very rich with detail. And what some of the things I love about it are that he starts it from when he was young. He starts it from when he was going to high school and what he was like in high school and what he was like in college. And he was always a voracious reader and writer. He was a very good student. He's very well read, um, you know, as you would imagine, of course, it doesn't, it's not a necessary for a president to be well read. We know that, um, but, it's <laughs> but it's admirable. I think um, you know, it's a big, big ticket for me in my book. Well, since it's a quality we look for in our closest friends, you would think. Yeah. Um, what I loved, there are a couple of things I loved. One is that, you know, he was kind of in high school where I was in high school, just kind of experimenting with things and fooling around a lot and, you know, smoking weed and, you know. <laughs> being a teenager and exploring life. And there's no, he had no aspirations to be a politician. He had no aspirations to be a president. This, you know, to be a leader was not really on his radar at all. Uh, so I love that. I love that story. And so books and writing and family were a large part of his background. And he talks about all of that and he talks very fondly about his grandmother who um, lived and died in Hawaii. And he talks about, you know, when she died, um, he, he had many, many great speeches and already he was in the public, 
eye, he was in the public eye when she did die. Um, they scattered her ashes, I think, in Hanuma Bay, which I've been to. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. He talks about all those experiences. He talks about meeting Michelle and, you know, dating and that all that experience is very personal. It's a very vulnerable account. It's a very personal account. Um, you know, he's not trying to impress anybody with this book. He's just laying out the realities of his life and what it was like to be a president. And there's one point in particular where he was talking about the early days of being president and he would have to go to um, do these events like summits in Europe or Canada or wherever he would go. And he said, every time there was an event, there would be a team of a hundred people. There'd be a hundred people working on these events. A hundred people, you know, who had his back, who were vetting facts, who were doing fact checking, who were vetting people, <clears throat> who were, <clears throat> you know, preparing the way so that he could, he could put his best first foot forward, right? On, in each one of these events and this team of a hundred people would work on this. And I thought to myself, as I was reading that, wow, a hundred people, we almost have a hundred people in the garden, a hundred people. With a network of a hundred people, you can prepare a president for a world summit. Imagine with a network of a hundred people, what you can do, even if you're not a president. I was so encouraged just listening to that. I thought, yeah, with a hundred people. So that was a big moment for me. Yeah, that's a big moment. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Oh my gosh, isn't that funny how serendipity, you know, we're, we're getting all these messages through. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. There was another moment in the book where <clears throat> he was talking about, um, you know, he got to be president not because, <clears throat> excuse me, he got to be president not because he wanted to be president, but because he was doing really good work with integrity and being in conversation with people and listening to people. And he he traces that path, you know, through just all the local things he did in Chicago to, um, you know, local government and state government and then eventually into the Senate and then someone in the Senate. And he was, you know, first time in the Senate and someone approached him and said, you know, you could be president. And all along the way, there were sacrifices that Michelle made that he that they both made um but he was a big family man and he always put michelle and his family first but they all made sacrifices to be able to do what he did in his career um and there's a point in the book where um it just kept building you know and every step along the way where there were bigger and bigger sacrifices in terms of time and 
and you know he and he talks about the 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 money reality too of like you know do we have enough money you know we've got school bills and we've got this bill and now we have a young family and children and now we need help and and childcare and you know the the financial aspects of it were very very real for him it wasn't like you know they just had everything on a silver platter like you see a lot of politicians who just you know they come from money like the bushes come to mind right they just come from money and so you know financing and being able to afford the lifestyle of what it means you just kind of have it there in the background that wasn't the case with with him and his family but but so he talks about that but there was a point where um he was talking about going for the next thing, whether it was the Senate or the presidency, I don't recall. I think it was the Senate where Michelle says to him, Barack, Barry, 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 everybody called him Barry. When is it going, when will it be enough? And I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, that's real. You know that's real that the the tension in a family where you say you know i'm striving for the next thing and i want to go to the next thing and when will it be enough when will you know you know you don't have to keep pushing as hard you don't have to take the next big step you don't have to right you don't have to make that next big leap you don't have to it's not necessary when will it be enough and i thought that just you know having that scene um was was so real about you know even if you're no matter where you are in your journey for influencing others for leading others you know, there are always going to be people, and particularly even the people that love you the most, who are going to say to you, when, when is it enough, and question your motives, and question your sanity, and say, you know, I, I'm not feeling it. I don't, I don't see it. You know, help me with that. Uh, it's interesting, you know, you can is in that mindfulness category of saying, you know, how do you say it? You know, uh, I, I, in the frustration of the moment, we say things like that, even to the people that we love, even mm -hmm. if they're, you know, a Senator or a future president. And so I loved that he, I loved the whole book. I loved the fact that he is, vulnerable and honest and he shares all those moments and um there's little nuggets in the book there's parts of it that are a little dry when he starts to talk about war you know and talking to the generals but it's all along there are personal enough vignettes where you know he he's got people you know grabbing him in the in the White House hallway and sticking their face in his face and saying, don't be fooled by, you know, these things these generals are telling you or, you know, 
things that happen, conversations between him and Joe Biden. Um, so he doesn't just lay out the facts of the events of his presidency, but he peppers it, you know, he seasons it with all these personal moments that show his humanity. And I think for that, it's probably one of the best presidential memoirs I've ever read. So um, I'm very happy that you give it. it. It is very long. I do recommend speeding up the read time, uh, but yeah, I recommend it. How many stars do you give it? Um, well, that's hard because I'm probably not, a, it's probably not a five star only because, you know, it's probably more like, you know, four, probably a four star. I mean, it's a very good book, maybe even three and a half to four. And why, why that low? It's only because of personal preference. Like I'm not into political stuff. I, if, but it's written really well. So I'd probably say four. It's written really well. It's narrated by himself, which I love. And so that's a bonus. That's helping me get through it. If I had to read it in a physical or a Kindle format, I probably wouldn't get, be able to get through it. But the fact that it's on Audible and he's narrating it makes it okay. And and so that's, yeah. So, but because some of the moments are like, yeah, I don't, I don't care about all the war stuff and all the, you know, some of the political stuff I don't really care about. It's, that's just not my, you know, my things like neuroscience and personal development and psychology and all that stuff, you know, personal growth. But it does show moments of personal growth, his personal growth and his family's personal growth. So from that standpoint, that also elevates it. So I'd say four. Which is the flying lead change because that's kind of the leadership that she talks about in this is that deep caring and listening. The deep listening is what you're talking about, which makes it sound even more interesting. Okay. Yeah. I see you have all those tabs in Flying Lead Change. I love this book. Oh this, God, book I love this book, yeah, this book, I also have the physical copy because it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's- Yeah, all the tabs and then, you know, I was asked, what are all the tabs for? And I was thinking, well, it's stuff I like in the book, you know, that I want to remember. And I think, am I ever going to go back and tab through it. And I actually have, because I remember something, oh, that was in there. And I think, okay, it was about this section, right about, and boom, there it is. So, but it's going to be funny if anyone starts pulling books out of my bookcase and they're all tabbed <laughs> up. What is going on here? <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I wish I would have had this book at the beginning of my experience with horses. It would have really changed how I, as a horse owner, um, experienced them. So that was one thing I got out of it. And uh, I'm going to go off of my, because I did the mastermind questions. So yeah. let me see my first question. Um, what life problems are you currently working on attempting to solve or would like to solve prior to joining the mastermind book club? Um, so I've been reading quite a few books and I'm way, I'm like a hundred and something books into this now, I think. And so me answering this question at this point in time when I was reading the book, which was a couple months ago now, I think. 
So it was learning to control myself in better in situations that fire me up, learning to be more observant of other people's experiences and wanting to write more and create more. So my aha moments as I was, I read the book, obviously, uh, learning to be more like Artemis. That was my big thing of- And so, yeah, so tell us about Artemis. Yeah, tell us, tell, tell us whoever's listening about Artemis. So our um, understanding of a horse herd is that the leader is the stallion at the front when in fact, it's usually the mare at the rear of the herd. And she is the one that keeps the balance of the herd without it having to be the kicking and fighting and struggling. And it's more about tuning into each, each part of the herd and where they need to be in, in the balance of the herd and then helping them find their way there. And without, again, the kicking and biting and all the peacocking that goes on. So um, I have always been more like the person who goes in, you tell me what's going on and I go, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I don't, I, but I understand that it takes listening to know what we're going to do. And usually most of my ideas are pretty good, but a lot of them can be really big and crazy because I haven't done that deep listening of where that person is as far as their level of fear goes, really. I think that what it comes down to, you know, what are they still trying to overcome? And I'm wanting them to push through it because maybe I've already done it. Or I think, you know, it's something you should be able to get through. But like Artemis, you just kind of listen and wait until they're ready to move through that. So that's my, that's kind of my summary of being like Artemis. So Artemis is the, Artemis is, the lead mare in the herd, but she's the one you wouldn't, she's the one at the back of the herd, not the one, she's the one moving the herd forward from the, the rear rather than dragging them along from the front. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, there's the story in there with the man, there was a group that came out to the uh, Equus Ranch and he, he got it, got it, got it. And then as soon as he went to lead the horse, he threw the rope over his shoulder and just started dragging the horse into the arena. And the horse was like, wait, hold on here. <laughs> and I see, you know, I can see myself. I've done that how many times where I forced, you know, if I would have just sat with the horse for a second and gone, okay, this is what we need to do. The horse probably would have went, oh, here's how we're going to do it better. And I've actually seen that in action because of um, the little pony that we have who, I swear sometimes, he, so he was a hunter jumper. My daughter was all of eight years old and we would go up to LA and she'd be competing against these horses that were, you know, $100,000 owned by celebrity children and things like that. And we would call my little Skittles, uh, the, the scrapings from the bottom of the barrel, but they were so freaking cute together and that they would actually win. But what would happen is you'd go up to these, you know, maps that you have to know which jump you're gonna go over next. And you have to go over it in an order, otherwise you're disqualified. So, you know, I think Skittles knew more about what those dots meant and how all this lined up than my eight-year-old, because, you know, really, <laughs> it was just such a, he knows, he knows what he was out there to do. He knows how much he enjoyed it. And he was so, and you could tell he enjoyed it. And I wish now looking back on that, I would have listened more to him 
I think it would have been better for her in the long run instead of listening to these trainers who were all about leading from the front, dragging the horse. Mm -hmm. And it would have been a completely different experience. Not that it hasn't ended up well. I still have this wonderful little pony who is still teaching me amazing lessons. And now that I have this, it's even better because mm -hmm. instead of I'm listening more, you know, I'm learning on that, that deep listening part a lot more. So I'm very grateful to still have these two, even though they are um, in their thirties now, not rideable. Uh, so they're, they're in the twilights of their life and just sharing that experience and wisdom with me. So that's, that's one thing. That's something huge I got out of this book. Okay, so next question. If you had to explain what this book was about to someone who had never read it before, what would you say in a couple of sentences? Um, okay, so shortening down what I just said. Learning to see the truth of the herd horses and our connection to them. This kind of therapy is one piece of the growth space that I intend to create um, as part of my Southwest version of the garden here, right? You have the East Coast, not the West Coast. Nice. So um, my favorite part of the book, um, gosh, I had a lot, but I narrowed it down to a couple. Um, chapter four, conservation of energy, um, the last chapter, uh, the last, um, I think it's the last paragraph. The more you practice caring like Artemis, the more you love spaciousness, ease, and presence will enter your life the more love, spaciousness, ease, and presence will enter your life. You will have more energy, you will truly care better, and you'll empower others to do the same. So that was, I mean, that to me was huge. Um, that goes along with, um, uh, as you, you know, create abundance, love, abundant success and love in your life, as you inspire others to do the same. You know, that's part of, um, which one is that? The mindset or growth mindset? Anyways, big leap. big leap. Okay, so, and I also loved all of the spiral points, the journal questions and the exercises. This is something that maybe we should, you know, incorporate into your, our, your journaling. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've already started to do okay. that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, my plan, that's, that's what all these are at the top. Yeah. I'm working these into my daily um, routines and maybe try to practice once a week or two over the course of the month, over the course of the year and see what yes. happens. Yes, I've, I've uh, in the journaling junket, the free circle, but also in the paid journaling course, uh, I'm gonna dip into flying lead change for some of the journaling exercises which are incredibly great and very powerful. Excellent. Okay, so what three things would you like just to discuss further? Um, at the, I, now I have different questions, but I'm going to stick to these. How many of us have had the experience of experiences of horses in our lives and in what capacity? And would you be interested in a growth experience that included horses in an environment like what Equus offers? Um, I know I would be, I know that's the kind of, um, a quest, you know, horse presence that I picture in this space out here. Um, and having that, having that experience, you know, I've had that experience of having a horse heal me and, um, and to get me through what, I, you know, what I had to go through and then losing him. So I know what it is to be healed by a horse. And I would love to see that happen in other people. 
So that, that's something for me. Um, how do you think this book changed your mindset, if at all, about why humans do the things we do, be brief. So about joy, one thing for me, for myself, I feel like I've been living in with too much fear of joy, knowing that the other shoe always drops and joy is brief. And I feel like many people are living like this too. So I'm working on gratitude and joy daily. And uh, did I read a physical or audible? Um, I obviously did a physical version. Um, and then what physical sentence uh, senses might you have felt during uh, reading? Uh, okay, so many. So I've had this small herd for almost 20 years. And like I said, I wish I would have read this at the beginning of our journey instead of at the end. But even with this shorter runway, I've made changes in how I work and live with them. The part about joy hit hard, hit home hard for me. Um, I struggle to be happy, to stay happy, knowing how life has a tendency to drop that other shoe and shit on my parade. But that's life. And I have to learn to be thankful for those moments too. Um, let's see, are there any quotes that stood out for you worth mentioning, make a note of them? So authenticity, authenticity is the willingness to be different to be totally oneself, knowing you are a part of the whole. And that's on page 164. Um, so as I share um, in my writing more in places that aren't, as, that aren't as safe and the criticism can be coming from a thin-skinned man, I realize I am who I am because of the sum of the whole. My ancestors, our beliefs, our stories all rolled into the experiences of my world into the experiences my world rests on. I must have and share those experiences as the person I am born to be in order to fulfill my destiny and complete my the mission I carry in my acorn. So that's what I got out of the book. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. Pretty deep, pretty deep. And, uh, it's but it was, you know, and it was perfect timing. Um, it was everything about it. It was perfect timing. You know, it spoke to me on so many deep layers because of all the experiences that, I had, that I've had and all the experiences that I still want to have. They're still coming to, you know, into the vision board, so to speak. Yeah. Um, great timing. So thank you for recommending it. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I, yeah. I give it five stars. I read it. I also listened to the um, podcast with her, with uh, with Tammy from Tammy Simon. Yeah, from, uh, sounds true. Which was a fantastic lead-in to the book. Uh, so I highly recommend that too. And uh, yeah, great. Book. And we we posted in the garden. We posted the um, the uh, link to the yeah, that's where I got it from to the podcast. So that's already in the garden. And I, I agree with you. I give it five stars. What did you think about the book in terms of just the, like where we are in human history in terms of, you know, coming out of this, you know, male war dominance based leadership style into this female based, you know, because that's the horse herd model the horse herd model is the female doesn't pull and drag the female leads from behind 
and it's the female, not the male, who's the leader, but you you don't even see it. Like you have to look really, really carefully at a herd to understand and come to know that it's actually the woman who's doing the leadership. Um, what what did you think about about that and um, and how the title how the title uh, fits into all of that? Well. Uh I think it's, um, again, timing. It's perfect timing. Uh, something I always say is the most obvious is the least obvious. And that's the leader of the herd is the least obvious, but you know, it's not the most obvious. So you have to be looking for the change. And I think as women, um, we know, we already know, and we've been giving that that stallion at the front, all the all the glory, and unfortunately, um, ha we've been led in the wrong direction. So now it's time to take us back in the good, orderly direction, and and be the you know step into who we were born to be, which are true leaders. We just lead from a different position, and also it, it also encouraged me and inspired me to realize that it's not just me who thinks this way. And all I need to do is connect more with people like this and like you who are of this same thinking, you know, we're building the garden and we're building the table in the garden for this way of thinking to the point where we don't have to deal with that anymore because we've done it this way. And I think that's the shift that's coming. You know, this hasn't worked. And to keep doing it over and over again and expecting different results is insanity. So it's time, you know, we take the reins back. We stop playing their game, you know? Right. And, and the interesting part of that is that to do it, like here we are building community and, and building awareness, but we're not, we're not like pulling we're not, we're not grasping. We're not, we're not saying you must right, right. come it's do this. Attraction. It's all in the attraction of what we're creating of what we're wanting to attract. But it's also, I'm going to link this into this is our conversation about drops and buckets. You know, if you go in and just dump buckets of stuff on people, which I know I have a tendency to do, you just start me on a topic and I can go da 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 where some people can handle that and some people can't. And, you know, do you cast a wide net? Do you cast a narrow net? And, you know, sometimes it's casting a wide net and filtering off those people who can't handle you right from the beginning and making it obvious that um, you're, you're for change, not, not to be little or, I liked, um, okay, so something else I liked about this, when she brings in the uh, tribe of elders and, and they talk about, um, someone says calling them out and the elder says, no, 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 you have to call them in. <laughs> so I kind of laughed about that because I was like, yeah, because it's easier to grab them and wring their necks if they're closer. <laughs> <laughs> but if they're closer, then you get that, 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 opportunity to find out are they one of your nuts are they one of the people you, you know you're one percent and and that filtering system becomes quicker it becomes and then you start because 
you have more of those people who are like you now their energy is together and you're attracting more and more and that's what we're what's happening i think in the garden you know we found you know our nuts and now we're finding more of our nuts and more of our nuts are attracting more nuts right yeah exactly <laughs> but they're beautiful wonderful nuts just so everybody knows they're yeah, not exactly i love that i love what you said about um calling them out versus calling them in because you know who else uses that term is um tiffany john dr tiffany jana who wrote uh subtle acts of exclusion and uh her book is uh, at least that book and there may be another book of hers that is on the 200 books uh track as well that's the track you're on too yeah. um yeah so, um, and I think her book, I think I put that her book in the women's track as well as the 200 books track, but she says the same thing, uh, instead of calling them out, calling them in, like, yeah, it's like bringing them, bringing them close. And like the question that has been coming up for me lately is that's really a really good um, start to that deep listening is, you know, calling calling them in and then saying, you know, what's on your heart? What what is on your heart in, as opposed to what's on your mind? Because if you say what's on your mind, you're gonna get all the ego spiel, you're gonna get all the worries, you're gonna get all the and there's not to say that you want to suppress that at all. In fact, there'll be some journaling techniques in the journaling course about how to deal with all of that. But when you ask somebody what's on their heart, what's on your what's in your heart? Like if you if you approach a horse, there is no other question other than what's on your heart, because what's on their mind they can't tell you. So you so you have to ask first what's on your heart, and it's in the asking what's on your heart that sets up just like in Sand Talk, which that's another book that we'll get to, but it sets up that respect it sets up that i have respect for you in your space tell me share with me what's on your heart so here's one of the, uh questions have uh one instead of is instead of asking people what you do you know when you meet somebody so what do you do yes ask, ask them what do you love so what do you love Oh my God, I love that because I love that so much because I just, this question was just on my mind. This question about what do you do? And when you meet with somebody, that's what they always ask you. And I had had this question formulated and I had not yet even got it into my journal. What is the alternative? The question was, what is the alternative to what do you do? And there here you are. And here you are with the answer before I even formulate. It's got to be you know, a, a Brene Brown thing that I was listening to because I've been listening to a couple of her things, but I think that came from her. And, you know, that comes from me of, you know, you ask people what they do, especially women and a lot of women who have been, you know, stay at home moms and, you know, and then the next question, the next usual comment is, oh, okay. You know, so you do nothing. Well, if you ask people what they love that's right, so, so minimizing yeah yeah what it, do you do sets you up into that um that dominant back into that you know industrialization bias dominant the whole, thing. The whole yeah. thing 
Oh, you you oh, that's what you do. Well, that's less than what I do. It's that right, one up. Right. That, it's that so one. Up. It puts you where in the hierarchy do you fall in my life because of you, what you do and what I do. Absolutely. So you know, instead ask you know what do you love? So what do you love? What do you, what you love? Can you imagine just being a soccer mom standing out there? So what do you love? It's like love it. What? <laughs> I love it. I mean, we could literally do a paradigm shift. In that one chapter in the beginning where she's talking about, um, and she puts up this, this, this yep. is a book, right? Where yep. she talks about how do horse herds lead? How does the female horse lead? And she says that the, the um, that equine culture is organized around five pillars, safety, connection, peace, freedom, and joy. And, and the thing that puts those three things together, she says, the leader or the head of the family is chosen based on their ability to maintain these pillars within the herd system. How exactly does a lead horse govern and keep those five pillars intact? Through two superpowers, care and presence. Ooh, I got goosebumps just saying that. I get goosebumps reading it. Care and presence, why? <laughs> it resonates so loud, it's like that question. So what do you do doesn't fit into this at all. What do you love totally fits into care and presence. It says, here I am listening to your heart and share your heart, I'm present. And I care about what you have to say because when you care about what somebody loves, how, it, how can that be anything but caring? Uh, it's, so beautiful. it's such a beautiful book. And uh, that goes with my, you know, my Nancy dictionary that I'm making of my different words that I want to use and titles. And um, so, yeah, I have, I have a little story that I wrote. If it gets accepted, if, hopefully it'll, it'll be accepted, it'll be posted. But once it gets posted, I'll have it, I'll share it with you. And it's about that, that change that I feel is expected of us. Um, you know, to change the words we use because they're so important and stop using words that don't suit us, especially if they, it comes from that world that we just don't, you know, it's not working. I'm sorry, it's not working. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I love that. I love the idea of a Nancy dictionary about like, I'm going to change like how I say this to how I, into how I say this, like who is my who is my new self? Who is my future self? Who do I want to become? Who am I? Who am I really at my core? And let that inform through care and presence, let that inform the words that I choose. I have always said that words are sacred to me and I, and words can make all the difference. They can break us up. They can, they can lift us up and they can break us down and words have energy and power in their vibrations. And so the words that we choose, how we choose them, when we choose to use them, they reflect who we are at our core. And um, so I love this idea. I love your idea about the, the Nancy Dictionary. And I, I, you know, it's not just for me, it's for like, it's how, if I were to like form a business, you know, I want it all in my own terms type of thing. And then those are the people who would come in and go, oh, I totally get this. And I want to be a part of it, you know, and it becomes their dictionary too. So maybe yeah. it could become a, 
I'll, I'll come up with a different name for it, a Nancy dictionary I don't know about. Although what's- But it's, it's culture. It's like, you know, she in Flying Lead Chain, she, they talk about equine culture. And, you know, in human culture, well, businesses know this and they'll say, well, you know, what's the business culture? And in any particular business, how people speak reflects also their culture in their business. And so like you go into an IBM, which I worked for for 27 years, you go into any business and you hear how people speak reflects their culture. Is it male dominated? Is it, is it um, inclusive? You know, is it diverse and inclusive? Is it, you know, is it warm and welcoming? Is it based on those equine culture uh, pillars or is it based on, you know, war, win, domination, you know, I'm better, I want up, you know, I, you know, I went to a better school than you, all those things. So, um, so yes, I, I love, I love that. I love the work that you're doing and Exciting. thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing about this book. This is Nancy Arvizu, and you've been listening to Write, Speak, Play. Thanks for joining us.